to our fifth Frankly Golf podcast. I'm Valerie Melvin here with Frank Thomas and this week, continuing on the success of the Magic Club, we're going to talk about the Magic Golf Ball. Now Frank, I'm a firm believer that there is a Magic Golf Ball. You know, that sort of golf ball that's unlosable, the sort of golf ball that you hit into the trees, it ricochets off the trees or into the middle of the fairway, the sort of ball that you know, heads towards a stream, hits a rock and ends up two feet from the pin. Um, it's a survivor, right? It's a survivor. It's unlosable. Then it becomes unusable. <laughs> right. So that's your definition of magic wall. Yeah, that's sort of the extent of uh, what I think but would would make up a magic ball. And you have to believe in the ball. Like no, You have I to believe don't. it's going to survive. I, I understand that. Uh, how, how do you initially select your magic golf ball, or is it just one that starts behaving itself well? I mean, do you, because they're all the same size, the same, you know, generally white, they've all got dimples. So how do you determine which is going to be a magic ball or not? It's, it's fate, actually. <laughs> so based on, based on your experience, if it, if it hits a tree and comes out and bounces over the water then there must be some magic in it, right? That's right, and it just goes from there. It becomes more and more magical the more you believe as it's flying towards the trees or the out-of-bounds or whatever, that there's going to be some form of intervention, like a gust of wind or something that's going to right. um, deflect it. But uh, and What happens if you lose it? It's unlosable. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Okay. But, you know, the golf ball itself, to be serious, um, the golf ball itself goes back many, many years. And, you know, we were all hitting something over 500 years ago. So we thought it would be kind of interesting to talk about some of the history and the evolution of the golf ball. Yeah, you know, originally they were made of boxwood or beach. So it was a wooden golf ball back in 1450, somewhere in that neighborhood. And uh, then it evolved out of that from there eventually became a feathery ball. They made feathers, took a, a, a hat full of feathers, and they boiled them up and stuffed them into a pouch, leather pouch, that made the feathery ball. And that actually was a, was an amazing golf ball because it, it lasted 300 years. Not only that, but I think we, when we were doing some research for our book from Sticks and Stones, we found that you know there was a, a drive recorded in St Andrews with a feathery that went 361 yards. Remarkable. Uh, <laughs> which is absolutely remarkable. I think uh, it must have been a downwind shot or something because normally they they went about 150 yards, which is longer than the wooden ball, uh -huh. but uh, uh, 361 yards. Uh, I don't. I, I I can I can see that happening under certain conditions, but. But uh, that wasn't do, certainly not the... Do you think they'd the, had a few whiskeys by that no, point? No, <laughs> <laughs> the guys who were doing the measurement. Uh. Right. right. Um, but yeah, no, you do have those. You know, Scottish people would probably call it a, a wee breeze. A wee breeze. <laughs> yeah, a wee breeze from behind. Yeah, exactly. And then, of course, 1845, the gutta persia, or the gutty. Right. The gutta ball was, was interesting because it was the first solid ball made of a moldable material that was actually used for packaging. The material was actually sort of somewhat resilient and, and you could mold it. And so, uh, you know, the, obviously the people who are very innovative in golf decided to mold these golf balls and found them to be as efficient or if not more efficient than the, the uh, feathery ball. However, 
They only performed better after being worn out and the cover was, was scuffed up a bit. Yeah, I think that, that so obviously like the aerodynamic properties then came into effect, which is something you know that they discovered by chance. Oh yeah, I, I think uh, as as we uh, have discovered that when they when they did become uh, roughened up, bore had had different aerodynamic properties. It didn't fly like a like a normal uh, uh, projectile in a sort of a parabolic type trajectory. It actually had lift property. And then so, as a result, the design of the gutta percha bore was to actually roughen up on the surface and build those roughened surfaces in, into the mould. And it was very interesting because just shortly after that, um, Professor P.G. Tate at the University of Edinburgh started doing a lot of research on on golf balls and flight and aerodynamics, and he's probably like one of the earliest people to ever do any research in golf science. He, he uh, P.G. Tate was actually the father of golf science. He, he was an amazing individual. He wrote a couple of papers on, on the, recognizing what the aerodynamic properties were and, and uh, how to measure them uh, from the point of view of understanding that a spinning ball would, would perform better than a, than a ball that was not spinning. And he was able to measure the spin rate of the golf ball, as you say, you know, to, so it was very difficult at that time because we didn't have track man. We yeah, didn't no have track man. <laughs> yeah. and, and so to measure this, the uh, spinning properties, uh, he tied, he glued a, a ribbon to the ball and uh, a long ribbon and uh, hit the ball into a curtain or whatever it was, and then um, unwound the 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 ribbon to find out how many revolutions it had, and from that he could start understanding that the the the, the spin rate and the aerodynamic properties of the golf ball and that correlated with with the actual outdoor performance so he was uh, he was really the true father of science in in golf he was from Edinburgh university yep mm-hmm. and uh, it was um he, he but but subsequent to that very little science entered the game of golf it was all sort of all trial and error and an art form it certainly wasn't a scientific uh, approach to designing equipment. But uh, uh, it was back only when in the 19, late 1960s did we see um, uh, more aerodynamic design from a scientific point of view. And the, I mean, I suppose following the Gutta Persia, we, we had the Haskell ball, um, which was a wound ball, right, Frank? Yeah, the Haskell ball uh, was, was the first wound ball and it was invented in, in 1898. And uh, that was, that was uh, a ball that uh, actually r- sort of lived on for over a hundred years uh, because of, of, you know, it was, it was a very efficient ball. You, they discovered it, Coburn Haskell discovered it while working, working in a factory uh, where they were doing some rubber threads and uh, he, he wound it around a solid core and bounced it and found out it actually bounced and he immediately decided he wanted to put that into a golf ball. So the core was a solid core initially and then they had to they wound the rubber around that and then put a cover on the outside which eventually turned out to be a, a, a ballada cover and or you could have a, an ionomer such as a Serlin have that on the cover which is more durable. But that's that lasted for a long time until 
Uh, you know, the, the, the multi-layered golf ball. However, the 19, in 19, about 1963, the first solid ball was invented uh, and never took off on the tour. And even though they had solid balls and covers on the outside of them, they were very popular for the average golfer, the recreational golfer, but didn't turn out to be very good for the tour. So, yeah, in 2000, we had the, the multi-layer ball kind of came into play. And, you know, obviously one of the things that people talk about a lot is the distance that the ball's going. Um, and, you know, do you, do you, I mean, you look at the tour stats, Frank, and you've looked at these this issue over a number of years. I mean, do you believe that the distance has increased? And if the distance has increased, is it coming from the ball? Is it coming from the club? Is it coming from the player? I mean, there's so many factors, right? Well, if you look at it over the history, and I think from since the, since the Haskell ball was introduced, uh, they perfected the design of the of the golf ball internally. The construction they perfected the aerodynamic dimples of it. They've got the the um, the um, initial velocity or the resilience up to a maximum. And the USGA, uh, because of the Haskell ball, as a matter of fact, uh, said that they were going to control the distance. They were going to do something to stop the or limit the power of the golf ball. And so they started setting standards in that. The gutter percha was the first ball that actually had about 1.7 inches in diameter, and it was about 1.35 to 1.55 ounces in weight. So that was a sort of a, a reasonably efficient set of, of, of specs for a golf ball. But uh, then the USGA set a standard and they wanted to have a, a 1.55 golf ball in that's uh, the, the, uh, the weight. Mm -hmm. And the 1.62 uh, size and the, uh, the size of the golf ball, and uh, they said. And the whole concept was to limit the distance the ball went. So uh, that uh, it lasted. The RNA didn't didn't quite go along with it all the way, and and it's it's been a fairly lengthy history. But now we have specifications on a golf ball, where the size is limited to uh, 1.68 inches in diameter, uh, no smaller than that. And the, the weight is 1.62 ounces and no heavier than that. But also, uh, back in 1958, uh, they decided to put on a, a resilience or initial velocity uh, test. And uh, that was that. Now we have an initial velocity test as well. And they believed that that was going to cover the entire uh, um, specifications for a golf ball for limiting the distance. Uh, they hadn't taken into account at that time the... Um, aerodynamic properties. Mm -hmm. But that's what happened later when you developed the indoor test range, is that correct? Well, actually, the overall distance standard. Right. In, in 1975, uh, uh, I directed and developed the uh, overall distance standard. Uh, and as a matter of fact, funnily enough, not a single ball has yet uh, exceeded the overall distance standard that was adopted in, in 1975. Yes, it's interesting, isn't it? It's quite a, a storied history. So when when you look at the tour stats, Frank, and obviously there's been, you know, incremental, you know, increases in distance over time. Um, but more recently, I mean, do you, do you believe it's, it's the ball? Has the ball become so much more sophisticated? Um, or is it more to do with, you know, as we spoke about last last week, you know, the club um, and the, the, the difference in, in the club? I think... Uh... Oh, well, as I mentioned earlier on, uh, that the uh, no ball has yet exceeded the overall distance standard that was developed in 1975. Uh, 
but um, that what has happened is because we understood more about impact and understood more about launch conditions and understand more about actually measuring the aerodynamic properties, we were uh, able to do that indoors with an indoor test, and uh, we called it an ITR, and measuring the aerodynamic properties, you could then actually through you know predict exactly what launch angle and, and spin rate uh, was optimum for every ball. And now manufacturers are able to, to, to design clubs to meet that. So it's a combination of synergy, as I think we mentioned in the previous podcast, between the club and the ball. So, so that is what, what has increased in distance. And uh, unfortunately, the spring-like effect has had a, a step-like function in, in the distance that the ball went. But, but in, in essence, the ball has not gone, hasn't changed very much at all as far as distance is concerned. Yeah, I mean, if if you're sort of um, giving advice to someone out there who's looking to to buy a magic ball, right. <laughs> or even the best ball for their game, I mean, what would you recommend they they look at in terms of how they go through a sort of selection criteria for how to choose a ball? Well, I I think it depends on 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 uh, how fast the person actually launches the golf ball. Because it is is possible now that we really understand the resilience properties and the spin rates and everything else, you can actually customize a golf ball for different swing speeds, and and so you can get fitted for a golf ball not quite the same way as you could get fitted for a club or for a putter, but certainly you can get fitted for a golf ball, and it'll make a little bit of difference, uh, and and uh, you know because of the resilience, and if your club head is is uh, a little bit slower you can actually take advantage of that and design a ball for that and they have done that a couple of manufacturers are doing that i've got an interesting question you know we we, we to obviously because of our interest in putting 45 percent of your score is on the putting green so how important is it to pick a ball for distance versus picking a ball that you feel like comes off your putter well like that's a sort of interesting question isn't it well Unfortunately, uh, I think uh, the best balls for putting is a smooth ball, uh, believe it or not, without, really? without any dimples at all. Uh, and and um, But unfortunately, you have to use the same ball from the tee to the green and yes. into the hole, and that doesn't have any aerodynamic properties at all. A smooth ball will only travel about 150 yards, 160 yards maximum, under the same launch conditions that a dimpled ball will travel up to 260, 270 yards. Wow. We... So that's the effect of, of aerodynamics. So so uh, you can't sort of select a guy, and you're not allowed to change the ball when you get onto the green. No, that's so. true. That's true. Um, so, Frank, how like when we talk about impact, I mean, we've got a little picture here in our podcast of a little smiling golf ball in the background. Now, that golf ball shouldn't really be smiling too much if it knows how hard it's about to be hit and how fast it's going to travel. So how fast does the golf ball travel? How high does it go in the air? Um, and should it really be smiling? <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, impact is, is violent. And I don't think any golf ball should smile because the the uh, amount of momentum converted ch- ch- uh, transferred from the club head to the ball is really significant. You can imagine the golf ball for a pro who's hitting the ball at a hundred club head speed of 120 miles an hour. The ball speed will be about 170 miles an hour, 175 in that neighborhood. For the average golfer, down to uh, 85 miles an hour head speed. Uh, 
the ball will be um, uh, traveling somewhere in 125 miles an hour. But at the same time, the, the, the period of time that the ball stays on the club face, which is the impact of the period of time, is only uh, 450 millionths of a second. When you blink your eye, it's about a tenth of a second. So you can have about 220 impacts in the time it takes you to blink your eye. So in that period of time, the ball has to accelerate from zero miles an hour to 125 if you're an average golfer, or to 175 if you're a, if you're a superstar. So that is a violent, violent impact, and 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 boy, nobody wants to be hit that hard. <laughs> well, we'll leave you with that to to think about and have sympathy for that little magic golf ball as you um, next tee up and a uh, whack it off the tee. Yeah, you know, I I I think there may be a magic ball. But <laughs> but you have to find the magic club first. Ah. So the magic club will hit the magic ball and it'll do all the things it wants to with it. And the magic ball will, will spin beautifully off the irons, spin less off the off the off the long irons and and uh, drivers, and go straight and be you know just never get lost. And well, you know, and to find the magic club, the answer to find the magic club is in last week's podcast, right? Yep. Go back. So you're going to have to listen to that if you haven't already. Right. <laughs> well, listen, we hope you enjoyed that this week. We will be back in touch next week, but until then. May the frog be with you. <laughs>